You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Cure Leaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. All right, welcome in. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. Daniel Gallen here, bringing you the latest in Penn State football, with a little smidge, perhaps, of recruiting towards the end of this episode. Uh, practice Wednesday night, Daniel. I want to get people up to speed. Well, you build a weirdly thorough podcast with uh, with Bob Flanders earlier in the week, uh, which kind of recapped uh, the early happening. So we'll focus on what came from Wednesday. And I think the lead item for me is just this ongoing James Franklin, uh, Mike Yurcich offensive line run game discussion. What is the latest that James Franklin had to say? And it's, it's an interesting situation that this Penn State program is in with the state of their offensive line this spring. Yeah, I think the one thing that James Franklin has really been emphasizing is how thin they are right now and kind of how that inhibits them from doing certain things. Part of the reason why this keeps coming up is kind of a little bit of a preparation for a blue-white game that doesn't necessarily look uh, like a traditional blue-white game. I think that last night James Franklin was asked about the, the blue-white game format. Um, he said that they hadn't made any decisions on that yet, but they were you know trying to, to figure out what they were going to have. And I kind of feel like that part of the emphasis on on these offensive line numbers is kind of a being a little preemptive um, with kind of like, all right, this blue white game is is going to look a little bit different uh, because we're short on numbers. And they are. I mean, I think that on some nights there's only been maybe eight or nine scholarship offensive linemen out there. You know, you've seen some moving parts, guys coming in, guys coming out. But overall, there does seem to be a lot of hope around this group and a lot of kind of, um, I guess, optimism. Um, I guess, and I think part of that has to do with the fact that you're going to have three new starters, including moving Juice Scruggs uh, from right guard to center. That's four new starters. So um, I think that there's there's some excitement, there's optimism, and I think the opportunity to work with young guys like Landon Tangwall and Olu Fashanu has been, I think, a lot of fun for the staff. And I think that those are two guys that they feel like have really, really high ceilings. Table the depth part of it for a moment and the blue white game format. Cause I do want to circle back to those things, but do you feel like change was, was good from like, you know, you can appreciate what Mike Miranda and Rashid Walker, what those guys brought to the table for the past few years. Um, but it did seem like, you know, they're embracing the idea of having a fresh start on the offensive line. Yeah, definitely. I think that if Rashid Walker wanted to come back for another year, you'd definitely take him back just because of the the type of 
of high ceiling player he is, but you know, losing Eric Wilson, losing Mike Miranda, I think that it kind of opens the door for some of these younger guys that have had the chance to be a little bit more molded by Phil Troutwine. Um, and in addition to guys who have been brought in um, by Phil Troutwine, I think that they'll have the opportunity to kind of develop in this offensive line. Um, obviously, it's it's year two under Mike Yersich, uh, another year to work with Phil Troutwine. Um, and I think that it'll be interesting to see kind of how all of this this comes together, how this molds together uh, up front, because I feel like the last decade of Penn State football has been all about how important the offensive line is and and how difficult it can be to get a good one and how not having a good one can just really affect all areas of the game. Now, let me ask about the blue white game. And maybe this is, and it seems like Franklin is really an overdrive trying to justify what is likely to be some kind of format change. My question is, does the Phoenix experience really suffer if this is just literally a, a practice? If it's, if it's got scrimmage components, if you can see, you know, if they can see quarterbacks throw a few deep balls, if they can see, you know, some, some, you know, semi live type action, I feel like fans would still be happy about it. And maybe this is just a transition into something a little bit more permanent. I might be looking too much into it, but, uh, it seems like maybe the, the time has kind of come for the, for fan expectations to change. Like this isn't a game anymore. It is interesting to see kind of how every program handles it because obviously you don't want guys to get hurt, but obviously that can happen. I mean, that can happen at any point uh, in a football game, but it has been interesting to see kind of over the years, the different formats that people try, the different periods. Um, I mean, I think the one thing that you want if you're a fan and you go to this is that kind of like what you said, you want to see some deep balls you want to see some of these new guys and I think you just want to see some 11 on 11 periods. I think that that's kind of what you go to see. You want to see the full units together. You want to see ones versus ones. You want to see some of those, you know, you want to see Mitchell Tinsley against Joey Porter Jr., that type of thing. You know, like covering the NFL the past couple of years, the, the Eagles kind of really tamped down on how open things were. Um, I know that obviously back in the day, everything was open up at Lehigh, and then the number of open practices at the link when they came back to Philadelphia just kind of dwindled year after year after year. But the fans still show up. Um, the fans, I think it's something that it gets them into the stadium. It's a good experience. I think that a lot of people are probably just going for the camaraderie. Obviously, there's going to be some of the diehards that are there and they got to see Drew Aller. They got to see Bo Perbula throw the 15 yard out. They want to see Nick Singleton in person. You know, the type of person who really needs to see Zane Durant. Um, what he can do in the middle. Um, I think that that person definitely exists and, and will be there. But, you know, I mean, they draw uh, what I've never been to a blue white game. So I know it's like 60, 70,000 people and uh, on any given year. And, you know, I mean, most of those people are just it's a spring Saturday. Let's go to the stadium. Let's have a good time. Personally, I'm not expecting to see too, too much. Uh, for me, it's kind of the what I would want to get out of it is the opportunity to be in the press box, look down see things from a different angle, see the personnel groupings, and then, you know, see some 11 on 11. That's what, that's what I personally would hope to see. Uh, and then on the other part of that, the depth thing, and, you know, number one, yes, that, you know, to have eight or nine scholarship guys, not optimal for the way they run practice. And James Franklin did go into how that can kind of trickle down and impact maybe the defensive line. Like you're just trying to manage your way around that, that depth shortcoming. But 
Um, it's worth noting just on, on the depth front, if they've got eight or nine now, there's still three more um, freshmen set to arrive later between now and, and summer camp. And then Hunter Norzad is set to arrive from Cornell. And I would also say, unless, you know, something resembling a worst case scenario unfolds, I mean, the, the likelihood of having more than, say, seven or eight guys play meaningful snaps in over the course of a season isn't all that likely. So I think this is a temporary situation that's not ideal that will be rectified when four more scholarship guys arrive later. Yeah, and when James Franklin went through that too deep at the beginning of spring practice, I mean, it was, I think there were 11 guys on it, and one was a, a you know, the defensive tackle, Alex Fermanek, who, who, mo- who moved over. Uh, to help boost the depth and kind of like what you said, I mean, Hunter Norzad's going to come and I think you can factor him into that top six or seven. Uh, Bryce Efner wasn't listed by James Franklin on that two deep. Uh, he missed the Outback Bowl at the end of the year. So obviously there's, you can assume there's something medical going on there and he was their number six last year. So you can also factor him in there. So they were pretty complimentary of Vega Ioni, uh, when he, when he signed. I also have to do a mea culpa where I was writing about the offensive line recently and the incoming freshman, and I forgot to mention him because uh, of that. It was such a that late addition. He came around so late. Yeah, yeah I mean, there, there's more than Malik McNeil and, and Drew Shelton in this class. But, I mean, McNeil and Shelton, I think, aren't necessarily you know regarded as kind of day one contributors, especially at that position. Yone probably needs a little bit of seasoning, too, even though they're pretty excited about him. But I think once you factor in Norzad's arrival and return of Efner and just kind of who is taking strides, like who's going to take a leap. Um, you know, they've got three third year guys on that second team, uh, Dawkins, Golden Israel, Achumba and Jimmy Christ. Uh, if one of those guys can, can jump up and, you know, join that top eight, I think that it'll be in, in pretty good shape. And it's just kind of the, the product of the timing and product of the position where James Franklin was kind of talking about how they had walk on tryouts um, and that sometimes you can find guys for, for certain positions through those tryouts, except for the offensive line. Because if you're six foot five, 300 pounds walking around state college, you're probably already on the football team. Sal Wormley is another name to just, you know, just limitations with, with injuries that contributes to the depth thing. Mitchell Tinsley, we've heard, you know, bits and pieces along the way here, but we did hear from, you know, this week, Keandre Lambert Smith, who expressed some admiration for, Mitchell Tinsley's ability and the way that he goes about his business. And then Sean Clifford, you know, really had some nice things to say about Tinsley. And I think that's pretty encouraging to think that these two can build some kind of a rapport here this spring and summer. But just talking about being uh, approaching the, the, the position, you know, like a professional almost, but he also called him electric and, you know, just kind of begs the question, you know, you talked about, I uh, want to see Mitchell Tinsley going up against Joey Porter Jr. What exactly do you expect Mitchell Tinsley's role to be? Is he number one material? Is that automatically to Parker Washington? I mean, that's going to be the interesting thing is how this pecking order unfolds because everybody's saying a lot of good stuff about Tinsley, uh, who's coming over from Western Kentucky. Yeah, I think that you kind of have to slot Tinsley into the top three just kind of by default uh, based on what this group did last year. Because like we've talked about before, Dotson, Washington, Lambert Smith, then a huge drop off um, to I think I think Cam Sullivan Brown had, you know, six catches or or four catches and, and he was next up in the wide receivers. So I think with Dotson leaving. You have Tinsley, Washington, uh, Lambert Smith uh, as kind of your your top three. 
Um, and then Caden Saunders is going to be interesting to factor in. And then, you know, it's kind of like we've only, we've heard only good things about Malik Mega. So maybe we'll, we'll see those when the game starts. And obviously if Penn state can go five deep, great, that would be a, a pretty big boost after what we saw last year. But back to Tinsley, I think that, I think that he could potentially be the number one guy. Uh, it, it is kind of funny where he had 87 catches for 1400 yards and 14 touchdowns last year at Western Kentucky. And he wasn't the number one option. Um, the way that that, uh, that offense ran with Bailey Zappi, James Franklin joked that he was like, uh, yeah, it was basically illegal for them to run the ball, uh, last year in that offense. Um, but I think that Tinsley has the potential. I mean, I think he has number one potential. Um, but we've also seen that from Parker Washington at times, you know, in the Outback Bowl, uh, Washington acquitted himself very well. He had some Dotson-esque catches. You know, he's a little bit smaller, a little bit of a different type of wide receiver, but I think he can definitely be a playmaker. So I think that it would, it would probably most likely be like a 1A, 1B situation between uh, Tinsley and Washington with Lambert Smith in that third starting spot. Um, and he's someone that you talk about kind of your progression throughout your career. I think that he's someone who could definitely have that potential big breakout year, uh, improving on his numbers and being a little bit more involved in the offense and a little bit more consistent. So I'm typically in favor of having that established hierarchy, having your true number one, your go-to guy. But this situation is different because who you go, who your go-to guy is could very well depend on what the situation is. Um, Parker Washington, you know, him being that 5'10", 205 pound guy, you know, the running back and a wide receiver's body who can do it all. But then you have Tinsley, who's a little bit more conventional in, in the way he's built, and maybe a little bit more complete with his size and frame and things like that. And then Keandre Lambert Smith having two seasons as, as a number three. I mean, he's going to, if he's your number three, um, after the work that he did and the way that he progressed last year, I mean, that's a pretty good situation to be in. And I'm not really sure. You need to designate or put labels on any of these guys necessarily because, you know, Lambert Smith, frankly, is going to be better than your ordinary number three. And whoever the number two is, is going to be better than your ordinary number two. Yeah, I think that the way that you look at it is just kind of like we have three starters and I think that you can get into the X, Y, Z thing. And that's how you can divide it up a little bit more to kind of avoid like the one, two, three um, comparisons a little bit like you can expect to see Washington in the slot you know, a lot of times and Tinsley and Lambert Smith on the outside, obviously all wide receivers like to say they can play every spot um, on an offense. But yeah, I mean, I think that you don't necessarily look at it as one, two, three, you look at it as X, Y, Z, and they're all number one um, at those spots, like losing dots and, and losing that production and losing that safety blanket and just kind of the you know, you've you've seen it in the pre-draft process, uh, some of the clips that have been going around of of him you know, more or less bailing out Sean Clifford sometimes on some of these overthrows. I mean, Chris Fowler's call in the Auburn game uh, on his one-handed catch remains one of my favorite calls ever, where he is literally saying the pass is overthrown uh, when Dotson catches it, or you're not entering the year with that. Maybe someone can become that. I think that I feel really good about that Tinsley, uh, Washington, Lambert Smith thing. Like, like you said, like the experience and production that those guys have kind of you know, gives you an upgrade over kind of your average um, at those spots. But I still remain really curious about the kind of the the number two X, the number two Y, the number two Z, like who who are going to be those four or five, six guys, because that didn't happen last year. 
Obviously, you've got a lot of mouths to feed with all those running backs. You've got three tight ends who can be playmakers. It's just kind of, it's a very interesting uh, puzzle to put together, but I think you feel pretty good about what you have on the surface, at least at the skill spots. And I think just like you said with the offensive line where you had three third year guys, you're looking to see, okay, who's breaking through. You have a similar situation, you know, at the depth at wide receiver is Liam Clifford ready to take a step forward? Is Harrison Wallace ready to take a step forward? Um, is Jaden Dotton, you know, are we forgetting about him? Hayden Saunders, how ready, you know, there's going to be some intriguing storylines and you've got these three, you know, these top three pretty much locked in in whatever sequence you want. It's who's next. And, uh, you know, who's positioning themselves maybe for 2023. That'll be kind of fun to watch play out through the, through training camp. Yeah, it's, you know, Harrison Wallace and, and Liam Clifford, you know, we've, we've heard really good things about Harrison Wallace in terms of his athleticism, what he can do. I think that he needed to be refined a little bit. Um, and I think Clifford is another guy that they're, they're pretty high on and someone I, I feel like is going to pop up, whether it's maybe Omari Evans. Uh, we've talked about his speed. You can put him out there on the outside for a couple snaps a game, take the top off the defense. Caden Saunders getting to navigate underneath. There's so many possibilities, but there's just so much that needs to be proven. I think that Malik Mega is kind of the the symbol of that, where 6'4", 200, uh, can, can run. <laughs> Him working as a gunner uh, in on punt coverage uh, in practice is pretty imposing, but we need to see it on the field. And, um, you need to kind of translate those words into, into production and... I hope that he gets the chance to do that early. So so that's something we can kind of get get some answers on. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Let's look at this middle linebacker competition because um, every time there's any kind of press availability, this is a running theme. Uh, and this time around, what was what was unique was that we're not hearing from a coach or teammates. We're hearing directly from Tyler Elston about the competition. And uh, I like the way that he described it. I mean, it, it, and I wouldn't expect him to describe the, the competition uh, with Kobe King in less than respectful terms. But there does seem to be, you know, a, a genuine level of, of mutual respect between these two guys um, admiration about what they can do. And I think, you know, Elston kind of talks about this stuff. Like he plays the game, just kind of straightforward, um, just kind of got right after it. And I, I liked what his insights were in this competition, which clearly is going to keep going pretty much through the, the, the end of training camp, I would guess. Yeah. Our zoom with uh, Elston on Wednesday was, was very, very pleasant uh, and very kind of interesting. I thought that he was, is very honest. Um, he fielded a couple questions about what it's like to be from North Schuylkill uh, and and make it to Penn State. Kind of the reaction that he had when when he got his offer, when he committed, uh, how the town feels about it. And um, I talked to him for a little bit one on one at the Thon availability back in February, and I think that was probably his first time really being available to the media. And I really found his honesty to be pretty interesting and I don't want to necessarily say refreshing, but it was a little, a little different. Like 
I think I've talked about this before where he described himself as a quote pry guy uh, when talking about Manny Diaz coming in. Um, and I thought that that was kind of a, a very, that's a very real dynamic that happens, but obviously he's the type of player where I feel like you ask him to run through a brick wall, he's going to do it. I think that maybe you can read a little bit between the lines that, oh, we got to hear from Tyler Elsden. We haven't heard from Kobe King yet. At the same time, Kobe King's a redshirt freshman and we haven't heard from any of those guys yet or haven't gotten to talk to any of them yet. So it's hard to read a little bit too much into that right now. Like you said, he had really good things to say about Kobe King, uh, keeping the competition, being very respectful about the competition and kind of saying, well, no matter who's out there, if whether it's me or him, we're going to be in good shape. Um, so I thought, I thought it was really interesting to talk to him. It's going to be a really interesting competition to watch, especially given that Curtis Jacobs is entrenched. Jonathan Sutherland is entrenched, I think more or less. And then you got to figure out what's going to happen in the middle. Ellis Brooks was really good. Um, and Jesse Lucetta was also very good in there when he spelled Brooks. And that's a pretty big replacement. Obviously, Brooks doesn't have the same kind of NFL profile as Brandon Smith or Arnold Ebiketti, uh when you talk about losing guys on defense. But I think that's going to be a, a pretty big loss as someone who really was physical, played through pain, and was able to kind of be in the right spot uh, when he needed to be. Has it come up? Uh, with these guys um, or with the coaching staff, like whoever doesn't win the starting job, are they equipped to play other positions? Have they taken reps elsewhere or is it because, you know, you can probably make the case that whoever doesn't win the starting job is probably their fourth best linebacker. And I, I, I wouldn't think that the coaching staff would allow that player, whoever it is, King or Elsden to, to squander on the sideline. You would think that they would have some kind of active role in the defense. Both of these guys, probably even whoever starts, is going to be really active on special teams, I think. Um, but yeah, in terms of defense, we saw it a little bit last year where there would be certain certain drives where you'd look on the field and it would be Tyler Elsden and Charlie Catcher uh, at linebacker. And given that both Elsden and King are both young, um, Elsden is a third-year guy, King is going into his second year, I think that you can see Penn State maybe trying to to work those guys in, um, get them seasoning. It's kind of tough because when you look at how Penn State plays its linebackers, that I don't necessarily know. Like most logically, if you want to get your top, your best guys onto the field, I think Sutherland might be the guy that you can take off. But he plays that Sam position that can that's almost a you know a nickelback or, or hybrid safety at times. And I don't necessarily know that Tyler Elsden or Kobe King are, are necessarily equipped to do that. And obviously, you're not taking Curtis Jacobs off the field uh, this year if if you can help it. So I think that it will be interesting to see how they rotate guys through. You know, I think that maybe we'll see a couple drives where you've got different packages, different looks. But I do think that the the coaching staff seems high on high enough on both of these guys that it's kind of like, all right, we've got we've got to get these guys onto the field. And I think that Penn State has shown in the past that when guys force the issue, they're going to get playing time. And I think especially in a competition like this, like a starter will be named, but it doesn't mean that starter is going to play 98% of the snaps. You can always be a little bit more liberal in how you divide those things up. A couple other things. These aren't exactly the newest things, but they're big enough that I feel like we can repeat talking about them. I know you and Bob talked about um, Damian Robinson, that commitment. You know, my thought on it is just, uh, I mean, it's a big deal, obviously. Um, he's a kid who, who played uh, in 13 games last season. 24-7 uh, sports, the site 
had him as a five star, but he was a four star in the composite. Really, really good talent. And I'm not sure, you know, like on one hand, Arnon Epichetti came in last year with, uh, you know, a little bit more polish, a little bit more experience and was maybe a little bit more equipped to make the type of year one impact that he made. But Damian Robinson is also, you know, he has that kind of bend and explosion, you know, some of the, the stuff that you can't teach. Um, 6'4", 250 pounds. Uh, he played linebacker last year, so you might have a little bit of a transition if you're going to use him as a pure edge rusher. So my, my thought is maybe you're not expecting the same type of role and production as you got from Arnold Epichetti, but you've got three seasons with this transfer. This isn't a one and done rental. This is a guy that you can maybe bring along in your defense. So the impact of that, I mean, in year one, obviously they need somebody who can contend at at least contend for a starting job, you know, more so going forward, his experience level on that athleticism. I mean, uh, just a slam dunk, you know, a no brainer kind of addition here. Yeah, it it is really interesting when you look at kind of the I guess the type of transfer this is in terms of the remaining eligibility. Um I think that in terms of impact right away, it's somewhere between Arnold Abiketti and Johnny Dixon. When they brought Johnny Dixon in, he was a younger guy, a third year guy, so he had more eligibility and it was kind of clear that when he joined, it was more thinking about this year. Um, than maybe last year because they had Joey Porter Jr. and Tariq Castro Fields coming back at cornerback. Now Johnny Dixon can compete with Kalen King um, and work his way in a little bit more. Whereas Arnold Avakedi was coming in, going for a starting spot, was just going to be here one year. And so now you have Damian Robinson who can come in and can contribute right away. But at the same time, you're still kind of thinking, you know, two years down the road with him um, and kind of bringing him along in, in that fashion, I think. You look at the defensive end group, Adisa Isaac, um, given what kind of coaches have have said about him and given kind of his, I guess, timeline, it seems like he'll be a full go uh, this fall um, coming back from his injury. And the way that they talk about him, I think you can kind of pencil him in as that one spot. And then you look on on the other side and you got Tar Burton, uh, who split kind of split that starting job with Luketa last year. And then you got a whole bunch of guys that you're kind of waiting to see who pops. Smith Vilbert has been quiet this spring. I mean, Vanover is someone who intrigues me. Um, I'm probably blanking on on some of the other guys right now because there are kind of there are so many of them that you know Zariah Fisher, someone we haven't really heard about in a, in a little bit, that got some praise. It's it's interesting to see kind of how that exactly is is going to fit together. But I think the one thing that Damian Robinson's addition does is that I think it gives them the opportunity to be a little bit deeper in that rotation because last year it was pretty much three. It was Evacetti, Tarbert, and Luketa. This year it'll be Isaac, Tarbert, and you, know, you hope it can be Robinson and Vilbert um, or Fisher or Vanover. You hope that one of these guys, or I f- keep forgetting about him. Bob, Bob never forgets him, but he keeps slipping my mind. You got to deny Dennis Sutton coming in too. So that's another, uh, another person you have to factor in there. So maybe this year you can finally get to four deep or five deep after being mostly three deep last year. And I think what it does is it lessens the pressure on, you know, a Smith Bilbert or Deny Dennis Sutton or Amin Vanover to be that guy now. And, you know, maybe you, you could see this play out where they're sort of jockeying for position a lot of the season. You could have a guy kind of surge in, in the second half of the year or whatever. Um, but I think it's safe to say that maybe, you know, you don't have quite the same 
um, impact from the starters, but you, you have, um, more intriguing depth and more overall depth at that position this year with the arrival of Damian Robinson, who, you know, I think what you're looking for a best case scenario is a co-starter. You know, maybe it's uh, Tarburton is playing on, on on obvious rundowns. Maybe Robinson's playing on obvious passing downs. And then you have your back in that same arrangement. And uh, it certainly looks like he's, he's capable of playing that role, assuming he's able to kind of transition into the program pretty quickly. One last thing is uh, Marcus Stokes got a quarterback commitment. I'm not sure we would talk about it too much if it weren't at the quarterback spot in the 2023 class. Anytime you're lacking a quarterback, in, in April, you know, it feels late in the process to be getting one, but it, it just gives a little bit more settled feel to the 23 class. Like obviously the group is really, really talented, but now you answer a big question with Marcus Stokes, who I really like. I mean, uh, I think he's got a healthy amount of, um, like brashness about him, sort of a confidence about him. I love, you know, my favorite thing about him is, uh, how easy it, he makes it look delivering the ball and, uh, quick, smooth, live, uh, loose arm. I mean, it's not a it's not a guarantee that he amounts to X, Y, or Z, but it makes life easier whenever you can kind of make the routine stuff look easy, and it can help with the transition a little bit later down the road. Obviously, still has a year left in high school. Yeah, I think the the confidence and kind of the attitude stand out to me when when you look at the situation that he'll likely be coming into. Where if things if things hold, you'll have a redshirt redshirt sophomore in Christian Veyu to depending on what happens, redshirt freshmen or sophomores and Drew Aller and Bo Prabula. And then you'll be down there uh, at at the bottom uh, as, as the true freshman. And obviously the, that room could change. We all know that quarterback is, is really transient right now, uh, given how the transfer portal works. But after Clifford leaves, it's shaping up to be a very, very young room that uh, it's hard to pitch. Uh, I mean, you can pitch early playing time, but the actual situation doesn't necessarily bear that out. So if you can find find the recruit who looks at that and says, oh, yeah, I'm not scared. I'm coming in. I'm going to do this. Um, I think that goes a long way. Obviously, there's been some comparisons in, in terms of the recruitment, not the player, um, with Aller in terms of identifying someone early, getting in early on him, and kind of being able to, to use that relationship to secure a commitment before some of the, the bigger programs come in. He's down in Marcus Stokes is down in Florida. Um, I think he visited Florida State, uh, Miami, and Florida. I think had some interest in him, but but no offers yet. Um, and so that'll be that'll be something to watch. Um, but I think that you know you described him as having moxie, uh, and I think that 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 stands out. And I think that it'll be interesting to follow that. And I think that that's something good that you can add to a quarterback room. And I mean, if he if he gets hot this this spring and summer and, and the camp stuff and wh- whatever he plans to compete, I mean, he is a guy who's going to look the part uh, if he if he's on. You know, if he if he's his most accurate self, you could see him. I wouldn't ever project anybody to make a Drew Aller like leap from relative unknown three star to a five star, but I would expect Stokes to maybe get more attention, especially now that he's a Penn State commit. It just kind of changes the game how people look at him. So, all right, there you go. That's uh, that's Daniel Gallon, Dustin Hawkins, but that's all we got for you on this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Be sure you follow Daniel for all this stuff at Daniel JT Gallon, and check everything we do out at penlive.com slash Penn State Football. As always, check out our Blue White Breakdown podcast pretty much daily at this point on Alexa. Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time. 
This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Pen Live. <laughs>